Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the February 26th episode. We are in Exodus, Luke, and Job. We are definitely into our second year now of our Bible reading plan. Yeah, I feel like we're just flying through. And we said this last year too. Like it just, we're flying through. Yeah, it's a really rapid pace. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to have Jeff. Jeff actually was reading it to me as I was going to sleep last night because I wasn't feeling good. And I just want to... I was like, I'm behind in Luke. Can you read me today's chapter of Luke? So I actually didn't finish Luke. You'll have Luke to. was, I was behind too for the first time. In, I think that our, well, people in town and then our soccer weekend threw me off. But the chapters in Luke this week were long. Like, yes, I had, I think I had four Luke chapters to read today. And I was like, this is like 10 pages. <laughs> it was so much. It was a lot. Exodus 3 is where we started. The end was the plagues, and I felt like that was a lot of just, like, following the story. But the beginning, I felt like there were lots of cool connections. Yes. Starting with the – since you mentioned the plagues first, we're going to go – we will go back to the beginning. But the one thing that really I took from the plagues, because I do tend to just, like – it's super repetitive. It's repetitive, yeah. Yes. Well, the one thing that I took from it this time that really I've been meditating on is the – the fact that for not all of them, it doesn't say specifically, but for at least some of the really bad, the worst ones, he protects the Israelites. I just love that so much. Yep. I think it's like the first, it starts with um, the gnats or something like that, I think is where he, nope, the flies. It says that the way it's worded in mine is I'll make a sharp distinction between your people and mine. And I just thought so much like, it means so many things. Like God's like, I'm going to protect my people. Like I'm going to make the sharp distinction in like the discipline and the protection. Actually, what we were just talking about in the Genesis recap or in the Genesis study, like how God is going to make Israel a nation that looks drastically different than anyone else. He's going to make, make a name his for himself. Name known. Yeah. Yes. And then he says that too, that sharp distinction between his people and the, and the Egyptians. And then something, this is like hard 
theology to reconcile, but the idea that Pharaoh's purpose was to make God's name known by having a hard heart. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hello, Calvin. So that, <laughs> but no, really, I mean, it says in chapter nine, he says, yeah. Um, yeah. but for one reason only, I've kept you on your feet to make, because, because basically Moses is talking to, okay. this is the seventh plague hail. And Moses is talking to Pharaoh using like speaking God's words and saying, you should be obliterated by now. All of these things that I've done, you should not have survived. You should be gone. But for one reason, I've kept you on your feet. And that is so that you recognize my power so that my reputation spreads in all the earth. Yes. Um, And it does. Exodus is that story that, I mean, the Jews. Yeah. Everyone's like, like, oh, I know who your God is. Right. Yes. Well, I remember this probably is from last year, although I think we've talked about this in Genesis too, how there's so many people. Yeah. Like Abram, Abraham, Abram, when he says that Sarah is his sister and they're like, I know who your God is. Why are you like, I don't want to be in trouble with your God. Like that happens so many times where other pagan nations recognize who God is. Yeah. We're so glad you're listening to the recap with us. We'll get back to this week's reading in just a moment. Did you know that we're studying four different Bible studies in the book of Genesis this year? We just wrapped up our first one about creation through Noah. The next one is beginning March 9th and 11th. Please come join us as we study the story of Abraham. We're going to look specifically at how the gospel is reflected in this great man of faith. We've made it easy for you to join in any time. We have podcast recordings of every chapter we've covered on our network, so you can easily stay caught up. Come and see at divecollective.org. Yeah, so context, because you were doing these Genesis studies alongside of the Bible reading plan, we are talking about how Babylon really illustrates the heart of man from the beginning when they ate the apple to be like God, to to Mm -hmm. have knowledge like God. Babylon is another, or Babel, sorry, the Tower of Babel is another story where we see these people. And it specifically says that they're doing this to make their name known mm-hmm. and so that they won't disperse across the earth when God's entire intention. And he says, he says both after they leave the garden, actually before the fall, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. After they leave the garden, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. After he destroys the earth and it's right. all that's left is Noah and Shem, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And so this idea that, um, so we were just making this bridge because as we are coming to the close of our creation to Noah story, we're seeing that we meet Abram for the first time in our lesson today, but Abram's whole purpose is to begin this nation. As these nations go and they disperse and they establish themselves, Abram's promise and the nation that's going to form out of him is specifically for Mm -hmm. God to show that he is the living God because the way that he's going to interact with his people is going to be so different than the way the pagan gods interact Mm -hmm. with their people. So I love that connection that you're making there because I think that's, I think it's super important to notice that, to remember that as we read all of Exodus, that this whole, this whole show that God's putting on with Israel, like you said, is so that these people will know, I know you're God and I don't want to be in trouble with your God. Like there's right. Which is right. Super, I want to be on your God's side. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, and I can't wait to study Abraham or Abraham because I love the part where I love the idea that 
they always had a choice. Like they, they could have joined their God's side. They could have decided to be part, part of, of their yeah. people. You know, yeah. that's, I can't help, but want to jump to the gospel. What does that say about us? You know, how does that, how does this, if God is an unchanging God and he now has a people that are set apart, you know, that we are a set apart people being filled with this Holy spirit. Like, what does that say about how he plans to interact with us as trouble comes down, you know, and thinking about the fact Mm -hmm. that like, he didn't keep them from all the trouble necessarily. Like you said, it was the fourth plague before we see that he delineates, but it makes me hopeful that like, as trouble comes that like he will delineate and his people, Mm -hmm. people are going to notice that his people don't have the same trouble that maybe, you know what I mean? Like interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, those are the kinds of things that I always, I'm often looking through every, everything in the old Testament. I'm kind of looking at through the lens of Christ and wondering how it translates. And there's a lot of hope in that, that God delineated between his people and the other Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. and that he still desires to do that with us, to delineate his people right now that are filled with his Holy spirit from the rest of the world Mm -hmm. so that people will know that he interacts differently with his people. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's a cool, I feel like that's something we need to remember that because I'm thinking now about as they're wandering, which was discipline, but like the way he provided for them, even like the quail and the manna, like how he's like, trouble's going to come. Like life isn't going to always be easy, but I'll take care of you in the midst of it. Yes. Yeah. And when it's hard, I'm still fully in control. I'm still making a plan. I'm still I'm still moving forward with a plan that is good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's for our discipline, but even when it's hard, he provides. I love that. Yep. We'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. Exodus three, you said we started with God. This is when God's calling Moses. I just loved well, God's talking about how he sees his people. Oh, okay. This is going to be another like tie-in from the Genesis that we just talked about in Babel in Exodus three. Starting in verse seven, God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know all about their pain. And now I have come down to help them. Yes. Pry them loose from the grip of Egypt. I have come down. Come down. I have come down. And he does. Like we were, okay. So when we were just talking about Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, that was one of the things we talked about was that. God came down. came down when he came to fix the problem. He didn't have to, but he chose to come down, but he does it over. And like, we see God's presence mm-hmm. with the Israelites over. And then he comes and like lives with them. He yeah. has them build the tabernacle so he can stay with, but he does it over and over and over again. And just how personal, how personal he is yeah. with his people. But one of the things I loved about this section was how Moses I love that about Moses anyway. He's, it reminds me a little bit of Job and how like brutally honest he is with God. Yes. Um, it's, this is where God calls himself. I am, I am who I am. And it just made me think of, so Moses is basically saying to God, what in the world makes you think I could be the one to do this? Like he, he's like you said, he's giving God all of these excuses and God is like, it's not you. Like you need to get that out of your head. This is not about you. I am who I am. And I am the one who's going to do this through you. And it made me think about, actually I read it this morning in Luke, but we've seen it in Matthew and Mark 
that section where Jesus sends out the disciples and they're worried about what they're going to say. And he says, don't worry about it. Like the spirit is going to give you the words to say when you need them. Mm-hmm. And just like, like he's already doing that yes. way back here in Exodus. Like God is reminding Moses, you are simply a tool. You are there to be the person, but all of this is me. It's not you. And I, yes, I will do it. Yeah. I will be with you. God said back to his honesty, what you were saying that that's the part that really struck me was where he says he does, he gives them all these reasons why he shouldn't do it or why he doesn't think he can do it. And then finally, ultimately he says, he tells them I can't speak. And God is like, well, who's made man's mouth. Do you not Mm -hmm. think? And he was like, okay, well, I'll give you Aaron. Then finally he says, but Moses says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Ultimately, he's just like, okay, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I really just want you to send somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. It was just so interesting to hear that, to see that, like the anger kindled. He was angry, but he provides. Yes. And he gave Moses what he needed to feel equipped for the job that he called him to do. Right. Which again, makes me think, oh my gosh, this is is one of the things I I constantly think about is how often God gives us a partner to do things with. Like, Mm -hmm. I just really don't like to do hard things alone. (laughs) (laughs) And so every time he calls somebody to do something hard and he gives them a buddy to go do it with, it's like, oh God, you're so good. Thank you. Yeah. Just, and again, I never even thought about it till you just said that, but yeah, like, he brings his brother and he's like, your brother's coming out to meet you and he's going to believe you and the two of you are going to go do this together. Yeah. So in chapter four, at the very beginning where um, God's giving Moses the signs yes, um, and he says, like, take your staff and throw it on the ground. It'll become a snake. And that's how they'll know. It made me think of Jesus, how Jesus is like, so that you know that I can forgive sins. I'm going to yeah. do this other thing. Like God's like telling I mean, it's a sign for Moses. It's a sign for Pharaoh, but also like for the Israelite. Well, he did it so that, you know, that I am capable of rescuing you from these people. Yeah. I didn't even think of it. It works in our capacity. Like he, he does it for Moses first. He does the sign for Moses first. And then he does the sign for the Israelites next. And then he does it for the Pharaoh for for after that. Like you're right. I didn't even think about so that you may know. So that they may know. So that you can know. Yeah. So that they may know. Like it's the same thing. One of the things that struck me from that specific passage though, is it says, God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. All of like the character of both God and Moses interacting together in that is so Hmm. beautiful because God was kind of like, he did this thing that scared Moses. And then God was like, now go to it and pick it up. Mm-hmm. And Moses goes and he picks it up. It's almost well, like go pick ahead. it up by the tail. Pick it up the smart way. Like don't pick it up the way that you're going to protect yourself, right? Like because a snake, you pick it up by the head, so it can't bite you. Like right. you pick it up by the tail. I got this. Yeah. yeah, and he does. Like I feel like so much was worked out in that moment where Moses is scared, and then God he, he almost proves Moses' own character to him. Like hmm. Moses is a dude who literally just went and killed somebody. Like he was, right. he actually like killed an Egyptian. He has a heart for justice. He's not afraid. He's got a, he's got a raging temper. Like he's created with all this character in him. And now God, it's almost like God is taming him in this moment. Like hmm. you're wild. And now I want you to know that in my hand, hmm. you face your fears and do hard things. And yeah, like, we're going to do it together. It's kind of a cool. Yeah. I don't know. 
We probably should move on from Exodus, although I could spend yes. all day here. Job 20 through 27. I don't know that I have a ton of specific stuff from Job this week. This like hit me in chapter 23, but it feels like I've been like kind of unconsciously mulling it over the whole time. Um, okay. Job's argument the whole time is that he's righteous. He's like, and he says this later on, um, it might be still in 23 or 24. Like, he's like, you're not going to get me to change my mind. I am standing before God and I am holding my ground that I do not deserve this. Mm. But I just was thinking about, we've talked before about how we've seen so much of Jesus and Job and Job like crying out for this advocate that he Yes. He doesn't maybe even know his promise. Like what, like what all is going on there? I was thinking about Job's problem is that he, Job doesn't recognize the fact that the intentions of his heart are evil continually. Job is like so sure of his righteousness before God because of his actions. Yes. That he's not acknowledging the fact that the intentions of his heart are evil continually. From and so, yes. Right. And his friends are coming at it. The opposite direction. The opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Last week, I was like, they all have the same theology. They all yeah. have the same, their, their theology is all the same. Two friends are like, you must have done something wrong. And Job right. is like, I haven't done anything wrong. So I don't know right. what the problem is here. Right. Because I guess I'd always seen it as though Job was, had right thinking about it and a friends had wrong thinking, but as I was, it was like a light bulb went off last week. I was like, Oh no, they're all, they all have the same theology. None of them have it right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm jumping ahead past our reading today. Yeah. It's fine. But like God steps in and he doesn't even, I mean, obviously this is Job. So this is like pre. He doesn't say that the intentions of the heart are evil. That's not what, he, that's not how he addresses it. He says, situation. I'm God. Yeah. End of story. Yes. Yeah. Which then brings me back just as you're saying that. I'm like, yeah, that's, that is the garden of Eden. He is God. And while we want to be like God, mm-hmm. we will never, ever, ever be like God. We will never, no. our righteousness will ever, never match up. Our holiness will never match up. As perfect as we will ever get to be, we'll never be mm-hmm. like God. Right. It's and so- and like going back to the garden, so much of it is about recognizing that we will never be like God. We will never comprehend what God comprehends. And he is king. Like we, our job is to put ourselves under his kingship. And that's what they didn't want to do in Eden. That's what they didn't want to do at the Tower of Babel. They ignored his directives, they're not submitting to his kingship. Kingship, but I mean, that's not what you see in the garden. Yes, it's true. It is his kingship, but it's also his just relational, his relational well, right. love, his affection. Like, well, he made those rules. He's God and he has that authority to his say, authority. Don't, yes. eat, don't eat from this tree. Mm-hmm. And they chose, they chose that that was, they didn't want to submit to that. Which I think goes back, like, I think that's human rebellion. Like, that's what we we want. We think we know. Right. We want to govern ourselves. Yeah. We don't want to be told what to do. We want. And even at our best, even in our best governing as Job is, Job is the best of all. He's as as good as they get. God says so. And still. Well, and then like recognizing that's not what's going on here. Regardless of whether Job is good enough or not good enough, like what his friends say, all of this isn't happening because of his sin. Like it's, that's right. not it. That's not the point. It's happening yes. because God is God. Yes. And because 
God is allowing Job to be used to like prove Satan wrong, basically. Like, yes, it's this war between good and, and evil that's going on that there's Job a really is stuck good in the middle of. That Job's entire purpose in his entire life was so that he would be put in this book so that we would have right theology, which is right. that. It is not about deservedness. It is not right. about earning righteousness. It is not about earning good things happening to you. Like none of that. Right. Like, it's all God is God and we are not. And mm-hmm. maybe that's Job's entire purpose. Like the yeah. whole purpose of it is a picture of it's going to look like you can earn good things. But just so you know, that's not like it's going to get kind right. of confusing because that's not at all how right. it works. <laughs> right. Because like even Job's friends, they're like, well, don't you know that the evil get evil and the good get good. And Job is like, well, that's not true because I've seen lots of evil people prosper. Like yes. they're arguing, but, but his friends are still like, no, 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 no. Like whatever you're, they're not listening to what Job's saying when he says evil people prosper. They're saying, no, this is what, this is what happens. Evil people get what they deserve and good people get what they deserve. But yeah. that's just not, It's kind of funny because like, even with Job, you can kind of see that confused. He knows Mm -hmm. that's not how it works, but he still operates under that. Right. And that is how it works. It's that funny, like that even in our right, like it's exactly how I often feel, even in my rightest mind under God, my right thinking and my wrong thinking right together. Like I remember my dad has always said, I like to, to approach things like like logically mm-hmm. and in a, in an organized fashion. And I remember my dad saying, you can't approach scripture logically. God is a God of logic. So like there yes. is, we do see some of that come out, but, but in our human logic, like we cannot, it doesn't add up. Like we mm-hmm. can't. And that's like what Job is trying to do. He's wrestling with this. I think I know this about God, but this is what it looks like. And this is how I'm feeling. And he's trying to reconcile all of these things, reconcile all of these things that aren't really reconcilable yeah. in a human, like logical, if this, then that kind of way. Yes. Should we go to Luke? Yes. One of the things I love about Luke is that he gives us so much more information mm-hmm. and the centurion in chapter seven um when the centurion heard about jesus he sent to him elders of the jews asking him to come and heal his servant well to have that background information paints a whole different picture of the centurion that had come to jesus like he right. actually like he sent the elders of the jews because he had built their temple or their synagogue it the says centurion. later yeah the centurion had built their. i was like oh my goodness that's cool never really noticed that but it yeah made- like he oh, was, yeah. he even built our meeting place. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So in Matthew and Mark, you don't get any detail really about why the centurion, mm-hmm. where he would have had so much faith, but he was very well acquainted with the Jewish God, like the mm-hmm. God of the Jews he knew. And so right. when Jesus came, he recognized him for what he was, which is, yeah. uh, which is why God. And that's one of the, every time. And it's not often Jesus is amazed. It's like my favorite, like, and he's am- the centurion's right. Amazed, amazed by his faith. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But it's because God planned to set these people apart to make his name known. This mm-hmm. It's because he, he did what he did with these Israelites. That it, and it's so often that it's always the Gentiles. <clears throat> it's the Gentile faith. Right. Because they shouldn't have that kind of faith. Right. Yeah, but they, they recognize him. Yeah. Um, 
Which leads me to the only other thing that I, I mean, I literally closed my Bible and walked out after I read about the woman with the alabaster jar who mm-hmm. comes into the Pharisee's house. I was like the audacity, the audacity that she had to just walk in to this, this dinner that this Pharisee was mm-hmm. hosting and throw herself at the feet of Jesus. And I feel like he said to the woman, your faith has saved you go in peace. Like it, that faith that he's talking about must just be that she knew that, that he was the man to throw herself at. She was literally throwing herself at the feet of Jesus in this place. Go for it. You're, I can tell you're like, Oh, keep going. I'll jump on after. What did she see in this Jesus? What was the beauty that she beheld that she knew that if she threw herself at his feet and she wept and she washed his feet with her tears and she kissed them, she was kissing his feet all Mm -hmm. over. It's mortifying to think about, like it's, it's a mortifying picture to be surrounded by these, these religious men throwing yourself at the feet of this man. And like, that's faith. That is Right. That is the picture of faith. She knew that this was the one. He was the one that was. And then he did. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It was beautiful. I just was like, I need to go ponder this. Do I see the beauty of my savior? Not like I'd like to. Not like I'd like to. It reminds me of that conversation we had. I don't think it was on a recap. We have that the necessity of realizing how depraved and sinful we are like that. How important that is for us to be able to see the other side of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's why Genesis has been such a gift to me. Studying Genesis for whatever reason, I feel like has just keeps bringing me back to, I feel like I see people differently. I recognize in all the things that would irritate me, like I'm quicker to recognize myself in it and it makes me a lot more compassionate and forgiving and aware then this has all been forgiven of me. And so I, I need to forgive it of them anyway. You read more of Luke. Do you have anything from the Okay, well, I just um, maybe do. So right after that in chapter 8, this is just simply an interesting observation. Um, he continues according to plan, traveling to town after town with the 12 and also women. And, they, and then Luke yeah. the women that are in their company. Mary Magdalene, who had been, the demons have been cast out. Joanna, wife of Chusa. Herod's manager. Uh huh. Like I'm thinking about Herod, and then we see Herod again later in where we are, like what we read in Luke this week, and he's like hearing about Jesus, and he's wondering if it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And I just thought, like, how crazy is that that Herod's manager's wife is a follower of Jesus, like, and supporting like, financially his ministry, right? Right, because and then Susanna who doesn't, it doesn't give us any extra information about them, but along with many others who use their considerable means to provide for the company. So these women are providing for them, but also it seems like they're traveling with them. Like Jesus is going to town after town with the disciples and also their company. And it just made me think, because we've seen along the way. And I, I remember I wasn't in Luke, it was in Matthew or Mark, where we see this scene with Herod, where he's always like, he's so intrigued by John the Baptist Mm -hmm. and he wants him, he like listens to him and he's, I don't know. It's just interesting to think about Herod being surrounded by people who recognized Jesus as Messiah. Yes. I think for me, one of my favorite parts when I read that was just thinking about how, you know, there's this like separation of church and state and like you can't have Jesus in the government and all that, but mm-hmm. how like I'm a military wife. 
And that's what I do. Like I, like right. I'm basically like we use, I mean, <laughs> I don't use, but like by us moving around everywhere, like we're taking Jesus everywhere we go with the government's mm-hmm. funding. Yeah. Right. The government basically funds our lives and that's, and from our, our means, that's where, how we mm-hmm. spread the gospel and Jesus gets spread. So anyway, I, yeah. cause that's how she's getting her money. That's how Joanna's getting her money is from Herod. Mm-hmm. Herod's pot mm-hmm. is basically feeding Jesus's gospel. Right. I'm going to use these people who don't acknowledge me to spread my, like, yes, he's, no idea. It's under the he's like, don't worry. I got this covered. Uh, yes. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking through again was Jesus as the God man. So like in the, um, mm. right before he feeds the 5,000, um, like chap, like verse 11, probably of chapter nine and to 11, the apostles returned, reported what they had done. Jesus took them away off by themselves near the town called Bethsaida, but the crowds got wind of it and followed. Jesus graciously welcomed them and talked to them about the kingdom of God and those who needed healing. He healed. What must it have been like for Jesus to be God and man? Like God, Mm -hmm. Jesus, God is like, this is my mission. These are the people I came for. These crowds that are following me and will not leave me alone. This is what I'm here for. But Jesus, man is like, I just need a minute. You know what I mean? Like, I just need to get away. And he always welcomes them. Like, I mean, it's one of those things I cannot comprehend. Yeah. Fully God, fully man. Like you just, it's not possible to wrap my head around it, but what must it have been like for Jesus to be like, okay, I'm going to set aside my humanity again and I'm going to be God. Yeah. Thinking about Christology in general, like what you're saying, fully God, fully man. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever he was before he was man, he doesn't return to that. Like he is man. He is there is a there is a full body man, man somewhere in heaven. Yes. Right. With the same emotions, the same gracious compassion, the same patience, mm-hmm. the same, same understanding of our humanity, the same deep sadness, mm-hmm. the same intercession. Like he literally, it says he's in, in Hebrews, it talks about him interceding. Right. Like he's and we see him for us. So often going off to pray. Right. Yeah. Praying yeah. for us. That's the part that like, I'm just kind of stuck there right now. Mm-hmm. When, so when you say fully God and fully man, it's like, yeah, fully God, fully man, still, still. fully man in heaven with God doing the things that he says that he's doing, feeling the feelings that he experienced here. Like that, none of that leaves him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. Literally when I think about Jesus in heaven, I don't think about flesh, his flesh and blood. Right. residing in some other dimension (laughs) yeah (laughs) talk about making your brain hurt thanks for listening to the recap if you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading you might be interested in joining our in-depth bible studies where we model our version of inductive bible study you can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week